Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. Today on Heritage Bible Radio, we begin our discussion on biblical decision-making. In our day-to-day walk with Christ, we refer to Scripture for answers to our everyday questions. We believe, as we should, in the sufficiency of Scripture. However, many questions we have, especially in regard to decision-making, aren't addressed by Scripture in a black-and-white fashion. In 1 Corinthians chapters 8, 9, and 10, the Apostle Paul addresses these gray area issues. During the next three weeks, Pastor Jim explains the process of decision-making in simple biblical terms. Please listen to today's sliver of this week's message entitled, Decision-Making and the Will of God, Part 1. The unity of the body of Christ, which should be on display to the world, is based upon the proper working of every joint in the body. Now, in your body, what are your joints? And don't say the sore places. We know that, all right? The joints are the connections. That's where things come together and function properly in relationship to each other. Every joint in the body of Christ refers to every place that any Christian connects with any other Christian. Your decisions about the kind of involvement and the depth of involvement that you have in the lives of other people reflects directly on how people are going to view the unity of the body of Christ. Here's another one. Decisions you make have a lot to do with teaching wisdom to your children and to your other, the future generations that come behind them. Another very well-known passage, Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. Again, through Moses from God through Moses to the people before they entered the land. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. In other words, he expects you to know these things. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. It should just be a part of you. It's impossible for you to have a family meal without there being some discussion that has to do with God and His claim on our lives and our walk and our walk with Him. Another thing that your decisions affect is making sure that you don't suffer as an evildoer. <laughs> Make good decisions. First Peter two nineteen and 20. For this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. God, God will allow that to happen, but He will also use it for His glory. For, He says, what, what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly entreated, you endure it with patience? But if, you, if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. And of course, decisions you make will also help you prevent presumptuous sins Do you agree with this prayer from the pen of King David, Psalm 19, 13? Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. 
Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. One more thing, and yes, I know this is a second avalanche, but you can handle it. Maximizing your usefulness to God requires making good decisions about how to invest your time and your energy and your resources. 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good servants, our good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, Lord willing, next Lord's Day, we're going to start to look at specific things to do in doing the will of God and specific things not to do in dealing with the will of God in the process of living your life and making all those decisions. But before we do that, I want to wrap up today by helping you see the whole of your life and all the little details of it from the best possible perspective in light of God's Word. Now, when I was young, the, the flood had mostly dried, and um, I uh, popped out of high school and into college in the days in which one of the words you did not want to hear if you were a young man was drafted. What happened if you would hear that you're drafted? Well, pack your bags. In two weeks, you're leaving. Six weeks of boot camp. Week seven, you'll probably get to come home, see your family, and say goodbye. And week eight, you're going to be in Vietnam. And you're going to be thrown into the middle of a war that was not anything of your doing. And it's going to be life or death. And do you realize, whatever the moment was that you turned to the Lord Jesus Christ and you called out to Him for mercy and grace and forgiveness and salvation, you got a lot of things. You got forgiven. You got redeemed. You got reconciled. You got a spiritual gift. You got placed into the body of Christ. You got every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And you were drafted into a war that was not of your making. Look at your life that way. Ephesians 6, 11 and 12. Here's a direct command from God. We could probably put this one into the big things if you wanted to. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The devil is the enemy. He, he has a battle plan, schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now let me suggest to you, you don't put on armor in order to take a nice walk with the dog on a sunny afternoon. You don't put on your armor for a day at the lakeshore. You don't put on your armor to go sit and enjoy a good book on your patio. Armor is for battle. And this passage has some powerful implications for your decision-making. If you make decisions without realizing you have a serious enemy who has declared war on you, 
you're not going to win very many battles. This is part of recognizing who you are in Christ. If you ignore that your sworn enemy systematically schemes against you, you're going to be pretty susceptible to being jerked around by the things he does. Pay attention to the fact this whole world system is under the leadership of Satan, who is the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world. Your own flesh is still unredeemed, still groaning and waiting for that final step. And they will drag you down as much as you will allow them to. 1 John 2, 16 and 17. Remember when Scott opened this up to us from 1 John? For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the pride, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who, here's the phrase, does the will of God lives forever. Which is presuming you have to know the will of God, which is revealed in the Word of God. Now, I'm sorry that we can't do all this in one sermon. Um, if you'd like, we could postpone the potluck for another two hours, and uh, yeah, the food might be kind of crummy by then. The nursery workers would revolt. Um, but while we await the rest, one final thing. Keep in mind that your life is lived in a war zone. I want to give a little tribute, if you will, here to... Um, a brother in Christ, a fellow pastor, Dr. David Paulison. He was one of the leading pioneers in the burgeoning world of biblical counseling. Um, I've never known him personally, never heard him speak in person. I've heard some recordings and I've read a number of things that he wrote. He, he went to be with the Lord in 2019, left behind a great legacy of excellent books and articles and countless hours that he spent coming alongside people to help them better walk with the Lord and training others to, to do that. I, I want to close with some thoughts from a, a book that he wrote called Safe and Sound, Standing Firm in Spiritual Battles. Now, Dr. Powlison first came into my world when I found some very helpful things he'd written. Back in the 90s, there was this um, fad that blew through evangelicalism of uh, doing spiritual warfare, going around chasing demons and casting out demons, supposedly casting out demons and binding Satan and uh, doing all of these uh, all of these bizarre things. And uh, Paulison wrote some of the most biblical stuff in response to that. Uh, he points out that that term spiritual warfare never appears in Scripture. Now, you've got to read the whole Bible to find out it never appears there, but it never appears there. Now, the term is a legitimate thing. I told you, you've been drafted into a war. This is war, and it's a spiritual thing. So, spiritual warfare is a legitimate context, a legitimate concept, but the term has been hijacked by people who make spectacular claims, and they try to teach people how to chase demons away. But even though the term is hijacked, there's a great value in understanding the concept. Uh, David Powlison describes spiritual warfare as a pastoral theological term. In other words, it's not in the Bible, but we're going to use it as a shorthand. It is a pastoral theological term describing the conflict occurring at the heart of the Christian life. 
If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.